First, there was nothing. Then, there was everything. Then, in a park above a western city after dusk, the air is raining messages. A woman sits on the ground, leaning against a pine. Its bark presses hard against her back, as hard as life. It needles scent the air, and a forest hums in the heart of the wood. Her ears tune down to the lowest frequencies. The tree is saying things, in words, before words. It says, sun and water are questions, endlessly worth answering. It says, a good answer must be reinvented many times from scratch. It says, every piece of earth needs a new way to grip it. There are more ways to branch than any cedar pincer will ever find. A thing can travel everywhere just by holding still. The woman does exactly that. Signals rain down around her like seeds. Talk runs far afield tonight. The bends in the alders speak of long ago disasters. Spike of pale chinkapin flowers shake down their pollen. Soon they will turn into spiny fruits. Poplars repeat the wind's gossip. Persimmons and walnuts set out their bribes and rowans their blood-red clusters. Ancient oaks wave prophecies of future weather. The several hundred kinds of hawthorn laugh at the single name they're forced to share. Laurels insist that even death is nothing to lose sleep over. Something in the air scent commands the woman. Close your eyes and think of Willow. The weeping you will see will be wrong. Picture an acacia thorn. Nothing in your thought will be as sharp enough. What hovers right above you? What floats over your head right now? Now! Trees even farther away join in. All the ways you imagine us. Bewitched mangroves on stilts. A nutmeg's invented spade. Gnarled Baja elephant trunks. A straight-up missile of a sal are always amputations. Your kind never sees us whole. You miss the half of it and more. There's always as much below ground as above. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Friday, August 9th, 2019. And tonight, the 42 Minutes Seasonal Book Club will determine whether the best arguments in the world can change a person's mind if they're within a good story. Yes, folks, it's book club time, and tonight the book club regulars are sharing Richard Powers' 2019 Pulitzer Prize-winning work of fiction, The Overstory, a sweeping, impassioned work of activism and resistance that is also a stunning evocation and a pin to the natural world. From the roots to the crown and back to the seeds, Richard Powers' 12th novel unfolds in concentric rings of interlocking fables that range from antebellum New York to the late 20th century timber wars of the Pacific Northwest and beyond. There is a world alongside ours, vast, slow, interconnected, resourceful, magnificently inventive, and almost invisible to us. This is the story of a handful of people who learn how to see that world and who are drawn up into its unfolding catastrophe. And tonight is a story of a handful of people who learn to learn how to see that world drawn up into its unfolding catastrophe too. 
Hello, everyone. How are we all doing tonight? Good. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Great. High energy. High energy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, do we start with people or trees? Trees. Trees. All right, Dennis. <laughs> Who are the tree characters in this story, and why do they matter? You, you gotta ask Zenora. <laughs> I don't know. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Dennis, did you like this work? What did you think uh, of it? You know, I really, I really like the idea of exploring um, the type of communication that and the depth of communication that is going on. Um, between other elements of the natural kingdom, I'm 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 all about it. Um, but uh, at times I, I wasn't really into the book. But um, I, and I, and at times I thought it was really really eloquent and really um, expressive. But uh, wasn't that into it. But uh, loved the subject matter. SJ, you had strong opinions. Do you want to share some of them? <laughs> 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 Yeah, I mean, I was, I was just thinking I, you could maybe call it overrated story. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's I, I I thought the idea, again, like Dennis, was powerful. Just like I feel like there's a really powerful idea in the book that, that gets explored, but that it just gets explored again and explored again and explored again. It's just I feel like it's sort of a one hit wonder that gets played a little bit too many times. Is a sort of my, I guess, grand summary of the theme. Like, yeah, it's a beautiful thing that trees can communicate with each other. Like, that's awesome. Um, but it, I just don't know if the storytelling uh, was effective for me. Um, like, I thought you could maybe make a little chat, like a chat book of like some like poetic prose, like maybe 50 pages, and that would be plenty, maybe even 25 pages, to really capture the idea and to convey that idea. You know. Uh, I felt like just maybe a little, so just for the listeners, I mean, this is a story of told in third person omniscient narration of like, I'd say, I don't know, nine characters or something like this. Uh, there's several different interlocking stories, but there's quite a, uh, quite a large number of them, you know, and, and several of the stories go through, uh, you know, multi-generations, like your introduction says antebellum New York, all the way up through the present. And various families, you know, you'll have like a father, his daughter, and you, then you see the daughter grow up. For example, there's one character that's a Chinese um, immigrant into America. It opens with him leaving China, just a short little uh, tale of him leaving China. And then, and then it's the story of his family and then one of his, main, uh, his daughters mainly. So I just feel like there was quite a lot of material and I just don't know if he pulled it off. Maybe if, for me, for me, I just felt like there was kind of some stale uh, plot um, uh, structure and just some of the drama, I guess, sort of uh, fell flat for me. I guess that's really general. So I, I don't know, I can say more about some of the individual stories. But um, one thing I will say that there was like some synchronicity, at least for me, because I'm living in China now. And so the, in the in the early goings of this book, there's a character in China, and then there's also characters in Iowa. Uh, that's where Dennis yeah. lives. And then there's a whole thing about Boise at some point. Well, so not only that, like but the, it, the character's name was Dougie. 
<laughs> yeah. Doug Fern, right? Doug, yeah, Doug. The, the, <laughs> Douglas I didn't Fern. even think about that one. And that's Dougie because of the because of the Twin Peaks thing. And and Boise, right? There's a Boise. Is there an Idaho connection in Twin Peaks? Uh, chapter three. Chapter three. Season three. That's oh. <laughs> isn't there the season three? I think there might be a Boise connection with Dougie, or that it's Las Vegas. No, I, not. I mean, it, no. Were no. you thinking of Twin Peaks there, Doug? Sorry. I, no, I, mean, I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't okay. referencing Twin Peaks, but I mean, there is some. There is. I I I sense some synchronicity too with my own life, with the names and uh, the places and things. Yeah, interesting. Uh, all right, so Alex, what it, you know? You you uh, said that you are. 90% done with it or so. Um, what what are your thoughts and feelings about this? It's it's a big book. It's yeah. a, it's a commitment. Yeah, honestly, I love it. I've been very moved and like I've had to stop reading and just sit there for a little few seconds to like stop myself from weeping. It's so sad. Uh I've read a couple of his prior books. Um, I never finished any of them, actually. I started a few of them, and I couldn't get through. They're usually very heady. Um, He's, like, got this deep background in science, and um, he wrote a book called The Gold Bug Variations, which is all about, like, gene sequencing, and they weren't – they never really – congealed for me emotionally like I didn't I couldn't get into it it was so kind of detached and like the voice of a very technical mind but with this I feel like it's his masterpiece um, because of how it marries the technical language of biology and uh, plant biology to uh, humanity and human humans lives and and he does take that kind of this this like omniscient view um, of the of the veg, vegetable world that um, it, it it just really crystallizes beautifully how you know I don't know the ephemerality of human life the the the, the the way we all come from there's a story behind all of our families everything we all come from somewhere and and the the fact that we all kind of come out of the the sort of vegetable matrix i feel like terence mckenna would really appreciate this book and i feel like he might have been thinking about terence mckenna a few times even Mm -hmm. though it might be a stretch but there's a couple things where I think like, oh, he's talking about DMT. Like it sounds like Terrence McKenna describing the DMT huh. trip. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I've loved it. I've, I'm kind of surprised at how much I've, I've loved it. Cause I, again, I've, like I said, I've never really been able to get into his books before. Um, and also I've also had some, very kind of resonant synchronicities involving it too. And I think Snore told me the same thing over chat uh, that he had some reverberations. So I'd be interested to hearing everybody's syncs revolving around uh, the book. 
but yeah, I'm loving it. Well, so yeah, I, I want to share my, my criticism, but I, on the whole, really appreciate both his prose, which is just beautiful. And then the, the you know, just the merit of this thing. Cause there is this really interesting thing structurally he's doing by, you know, the first chapter of course is called roots and we were inter you know, introduced to the different strands of the different stories that do all come together. They don't come together perfectly. There's some characters that don't necessarily, I think, uh, most of the nine human characters converge in Solace, California. But <laughs> I I read I read I read it one time completely in June, I think, and then I was starting back into it and I didn't make it back through a second time because I got kind of distracted by Quentin Tarantino, I think. <laughs> uh but so anyway, the interesting thing that I was trying to understand is I felt I always felt like there was a distance between me and the characters. And I wanted to believe that that was an intentional distance, like it was from the height of a tree and that we were looking at human life, maybe from a perspective that wasn't human, that, you know, was from a different time scale and perhaps even a different vantage point. You know, I, I'm not certain if that was in my head or it was really there. But, you know, I, I thought the action was great. Like, it was so vivid. Uh, but at the same time, there was this distance between me and the, and the human characters. What, what, did you, what did you think about this book, Zenora? What, what is your hot take? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd have to agree with Alex. I really like this book. Uh, I can understand that kind of distance that you felt because I felt it at first as well, especially in the first, uh, the first little story about, um, I think Nicholas Hall and his family and how that sort of, how fast that sort of stretches out in periods of time. And it, and it does seem like you're just seeing little blips of the family history every generation by generation. But then, yeah, I just I just sort of realized what was going on, you know, like the the uh, like even even with that, you're getting the perspective of the chestnut tree in their yard, as if you're flipping through the uh, the photograph book that gets taken of the tree every twenty first of every month for a, for more than a century, you know, you're getting this flip view of of what's happening with the family as well. Um, so. So after that, I really, like, once I started to see what was going on with the style and everything else, I really, really got into it, you know. Um, and uh, also, I, uh, a lot of coincidences with me as well, with my past and um, everything else. Like, even even to the point where uh, Patricia, the... the uh, the scientist, she, she grew up with a beech tree in her backyard, and it, me too. I had this really special big beech tree I used to climb up all the time in my backyard. And uh, right at the end, she says, that's one of the things I want to, I, I would like to have gone and saw is the beech tree again in my backyard. Um, but then also the, uh, the activism part in the uh, in the early 90s, I was really involved in that myself in, in British Columbia. Mm. Um, 
um, even got arrested, thrown in jail, the whole bit. So it, um, that really, uh, it really kind of like... Uh, it was authentic then, it felt... Oh, it really, yeah, relit a fire from under me. Wow. You know? It's like, a, um, yeah. And I, I think, like just watch, I don't know if you guys have watched his interviews about the book or anything else or his lectures, but he speaks of a conversion. Like the the whole... The whole story came out of what he calls a conversion um, story, like uh, where he was teaching in Stanford by uh, Silicon Valley. And just to get away from the culture of uh, Silicon Valley, where everybody's talking about living forever in the future and the whole transhuman uh, future and all of that, he, he would go up into the Santa Cruz Mountains and, and hang out. And he came across this massive redwood uh, called it his Methuselah tree, which he, the, the tree Mima in the, in the story, he kind of models after this massive tree. And, uh, and it just hit him there that everything around him that he had just traveled up the valley from was built because these massive trees were cleared. And at one point, there were trees like the one he was standing in front of all over the place. Like it, it was just a thousand-year-old, giants everywhere at one point that were cut down to create the city of San Francisco, to create um, the whole of Silicon Valley and all of the future that the Silicon Valley represents is taken from the back of the trees, you know, it's like, um, um, and so it's like, uh, I don't, there might be stylistic problems with the novel, I'm not sure, you know, but uh, it really didn't seem that way to me at the end of it, but uh, um, I think... I think he's so clear on his message and uh, he's um, he's really he's what he's doing is he's it's kind of tied in I think with uh, David Foster Wallace right like his David Foster Wallace's whole um, argument against irony and and his argument for sincerity and this book just ramps that up like a hundred times he's like yeah this is what we've got to focus on this is the the big thing the big story you know Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is just uh, trivial. Like I heard, I, I went on YouTube, saw this one uh, woman who was talking about it, and she was like, well, I, I really like the book, but I, I wish he was talking about something other than trees. You know? <laughs> 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 you totally missed the point, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my take for now. Hmm. Well, so what do you, do we... What do we make of the ending? And like, may, okay, how about somebody walk us through what amounts to the plot of this thing? Who can do that? Can I just jump in and say, I mean, I don't want to, I wanted to add another just quick thought and as relates to the plot, uh, some of the, some of the uh, plot, but I just felt like towards the end, there was a real attempt to sort of hit the historical high notes of like our recent history and so I, I just felt like there was maybe an over, um, uh, I don't know, I mean, overwrought's the wrong term, but just kind of this attempt to make sure. So there's a there's scenes at Occupy, for example. There's scenes at WTO, the WTO protest. Is that true? If I'm, if I'm I not mistaken. I think 9-11 shows up too. 9-11 it's, it's, it's shows up. The, uh... It's all from the perspective of, uh, of Ray Brinkman and his wife, mostly. Like uh, the Occupy thing was other characters also, but uh, 
like he's he's basically a vegetable had a stroke and he's sitting in front of the tv watching the news all the time so that's i i got the impression that's what's happening with, with he's those a vegetable things. that's i'm sure yeah. that's not a yeah not unintentional yeah 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 so yeah. that's that's why i thought he all these events are sort of popping up like the same the same kind of things the same kind of blips of attention um yeah it's i mean so just to just to say that that part to me felt a little just um i i don't know it's kind of like let's write in these 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 sort of uh, high notes and i i didn't i didn't think it was that smoothly done i felt like it was a forced a little bit for me but yeah to go back i mean i can say something quickly doug maybe then i'll kick it off to someone else uh, how about that and they can fill in some gaps i mean um uh, i i think I mean, what can we say about the plot? This is a story about trees, okay? This is about trees that they play a they're a major character in this book. I mean, if you if you strip if if you want a through line, uh, the through line in this book is 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 trees. Sometimes literally a specific tree. So, um, um, Snorri referred to earlier this one of the stories with um, uh, I, I forgot the name of the character, but. His family takes a picture of a tree for something like 100 years every day on the 21st of the month, and they keep the photos, and that tree stays alive for most of the story. And, um, you know, this this person returns to that tree, to the location of the tree. He sees that it had been cut down. Later in the book, he, re he retrieves these um, photographs that were quite important to his family earlier in the plot. So, so I mean... I guess that's what I would start off with. I want to talk about the plot. There's trees. There are. There's a specific tree in Brooklyn, right? That that is that tree. So the his forefathers carries the seed of that tree from Brooklyn when they migrate to Iowa, and he begins planting them, and only one lives, and then all of his other trees die because of a of a of a virus of some kind, a tree, a tree rot of some kind. Um, so I would say that the second plot I would mention as an overarching plot that connects most of the stories is this environmental activism story where like a good chunk of the characters, I'd say five or six, get involved in this um, really like a terrorist organization is, is, a, is a way to put it. I mean, certainly they would be considered a terrorist organization by um, corporate America. By, by corporate America or by the media. Like there's one that I'm thinking of in particular, ELF, Environmental Liberation Front, that I've actually read about. And they would blow up ski resorts. And these this this org got quite popular, I believe, maybe twenty years ago. You might know them, Znor, if you were into this stuff. Yeah. But Earth Earth, Earth yeah, Liberation Front. Yeah. Yeah, Earth Liberation Front. And so it's an Earth Liberation Front style organization, a group that goes around highly organized and blows up things and, and 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 puts their bodies onto trees there was another story that about 20 years ago of a woman who lived in that tree to prevent it from being cut down and that happens in this book so they're kind of like activists that then turn into so-called terrorists um blowing things up etc and so that to me those are the real main through lines like at most general at the highest level there's some other uh auxiliary characters that are quite important like this woman patricia haverford is that her name who i thought the narration was quite it just kind of graded on me a little bit because she's deaf and the narrator it just really exaggerated that sound of her speaking um there's this ray brinkman who's an attorney who's kind of following this stuff he 
he never really gets involved in, in the legalities of this case, but he's a lawyer who talks about it and thinks about it quite a bit. You know, the, the do trees have rights kind of thing. So anyhow, I'll kick it over to someone else, but those are kind of my two biggest th uh, plot points that I think are, are quite relevant and that come to mind. Well, so who, are, who, who are the people here? We got, it seems like, uh, there is oh there's God. nine of them <laughs> dougie is one and he is i think he's the soldier right so he falls out of his plane into a banyan tree right mm -hmm. and and then he ends up planting trees in canada maybe well, not in canada uh in boise or in montana all or just over up in, all yeah. over but then he he realizes or he learns after he plants a thousand trees, maybe it was more than a thousand. How many trees was it? Oh, it was, it was tons. Like eight, yeah. Like ten thousand trees. I think it was even more than that. Uh, Five hundred thousand. So they, he finds out that the Boise Cascade or Warehouser gets a cutting allowance if the you know so they can cut more old growth if they're putting in in. Uh, what is what is a baby tree called? A sapling? Sapling, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but then, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richard Powers is talking about his own tree illiteracy before he wrote this book. You know, before he started to study for this book. But uh, yeah, I'm thinking about my own. <laughs> <laughs> but then I think it's each of these characters connect with like their female counterparts and. It was his was her name Olivia? Um, no, that would be uh, Mi, uh, Mia. Mimi. Uh, Mimi. 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 Yeah. Mimi Ma. Yeah. Mimi Ma. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so she we get her whole history of coming from China, and she's got this Buddhist scroll and two sisters, and her father likes to go to campgrounds and write how the campgrounds are, which sounds like a worthwhile pastime on yeah. some level okay so doug and mimi ma and then there's is adam is he the psychologist student yeah yeah but he also was autistic when he was younger yeah okay <laughs> and he's the one oh and then there's nicholas hole i think is his name and he's the one from iowa and he connects with olivia who becomes maiden fern artist yes who gave away um, all his art <laughs> is maiden it, hair right ma maiden hair yeah maiden hair yeah which is yeah, uh, maiden, which, maiden. which which is ginkgo it's ginkgo yeah um yeah you guys you guys caught the the relation of course with the uh the trees all the way through the those roots chapters right when the when the nine characters are introduced there's a uh there's a little graphic of uh, of different leaves leaves on the uh, at the front, and uh, each one of them, each one of the characters are related to a different tree. Um, you guys, oh, you listen, get no, yep. Oh, okay. So yeah, Nick is the uh, Nick is the chestnut, and then Mimi is the mulberry tree, and Adam is the maple, and Ray is the oak, and Dorothy is the linden. That's a big one. We could talk about that after. But uh, um, Doug is the Douglas fir, 
Atricia is the beech tree, Olivia is the ginkgo, and ginkgo gets called the maiden hair. And then uh, Nile is the fig tree. Um, his, he, he and his father talk about the, um, was his father shows him this, uh, this picture, it sounds like Angkor Wat or something like that, where this giant fig tree or fig type tree, just, we've all seen pictures of that, where it just totally takes over the entire temple and incorporates it into the into the structure of the tree, like just roots all over the place. Um, so so he becomes he becomes the fig tree. Um, okay, and so it's it feels like uh, the so Doug, Adam, and, and Nick they all come together to uh, where do they? I mean, Olivia, Mimi, Doug, Doug, Adam, and Nick are the cell, the terrorist cell. It's so interesting uh, that you're calling them a terrorist cell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I'm just doing it to give the reader, because it's the quickest form of language to, I think, capture what, you know, to describe at least the logistics of, already, of, their, of, of their reality. I mean, we could already, call them... It's already tainted language, though, you know, to say terrorists at all. No, yeah, I, I know it's tainted language, but, I mean, that's... That is that is how I mean they get arrested by the FBI in the plot for just that, right? And so, I mean, it's it actually is. I don't think it's too much of an of an overstep to to go there. Um, I mean, certainly, look, I'm, I, <laughs> if you want to talk about my personal politics, I mean, you know, I I, I I'm not uh, going <laughs> to throw the terrorist charges at these folks but well no we don't you know. need to get into that but it's like uh it's it, what they're trying to what i'm saying is that they're not they weren't trying to achieve terror they're trying to achieve sabotage they're trying to uh stop the uh the machine from cutting down the trees right they weren't yeah but to... can we use the word sabotage because star trek taught me that that's about the sabo and that's the wooden shoe being put into the uh, I don't know. That's so that's wood perfect. Based. No, no, that, or is that's, it? That's perfect though, because that's uh, that's putting the wooden shoes into the gear of the machine, and that's what okay. They, you're right. That's you're what right. they wanted to do as well, you know. Like, okay, uh, I'm um, I mean, I guess the the technical term would be eco terrorism. This is what, like, just in the common parlance, in terms of how it's written about and discussed. But so I mean, it's we, so interesting because it's the parlance is from the perspective of the authority and the authority right. is trying to maximize profit by uh like yeah. liquidating resources before litigation catches up to them so it's it's Crazy. like so like like you were saying Zanor, if richard powers's moment is realizing that here's this 1000 year old tree you know a lone tree in a forest that used to be you know a forest of 1000 year old trees how how we just decimated everything to create our civilization. Yeah. Without yeah. any, like any thought or. Have you guys Wait. seen Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree? Absolutely. I have kids. Right. <laughs> what What does that story mean, Dennis? Oh man, it's a tearjerker too, wouldn't you say? in a way yeah but the I mean, yeah sure but like isn't that is that our story just the, the tree gives up everything for us and that um eventually nothing is left except a stub that we sit on 
no, no. Yeah, in, in, in the uh, in the story, uh, Patricia, who's writing the book about trees that inspires everybody, all the main characters, um, she has a section called "The Giving Tree." Yeah. She talks specifically about the Douglas fir, who, when they are about to die, somehow they know it, and they they will just like release all of their nutrients into the root and the mycorrhizal um, network underground and give it all to the other trees in the forest. There's so, also the story about how yeah. there's the tree that's blocking, you know, so like the, uh, the canopy, no tree can grow up until the, the tree dies. And then the other, it creates a space in the canopy for the other ones to. Yeah. Well, so it's so interesting because I made the joke on the last talk about the rush song which is about like trees from the perspective of humans which are fighting right you know you, you know getty lee is saying this tree is you know blocking all the light the little guys want some light you know and he's, he's doing that but richard powers paints a much different picture you know it's not it's not competitive it's more of a like a brain that these are collaborative systems that are mm -hmm. uh, like networks. And so that's the really fascinating stuff. Yeah. yeah. And this talk I just watched um, by him last night, he, he, uh, he brought up this word coopetition <laughs> to describe what's happening. Um, but there's a section in the, uh, in the, uh, in the book where it's, they're saying, well, maybe nature is not all red and clawed tooth, right? Like that's basically us animals who are doing that. But, um, every sort of splotch of, of red is is on top of a green sea or something like that, he says, a green sea of basically cooperation. Um, so it, it, he's really looking like at a completely different way of, of thinking about evolution, right? So can I just read this? I just, I just there's this paper I've got, uh, a law review article called Eco-Terrorism, a Critical Analysis <laughs> of the Vilification of Radical Environmental Activists as Terrorists. And this is a, a, an attorney, I guess, writing for Lewis and Clark Law School up there in, um, in Portland. And she says, uh, let's see here, the government and industries exposed by these activists are responding by publicly branding radical environmental activists as, quote, eco-terrorists. Unquote. This comment examines the economic and political framework behind the eco-terrorist brand and suggests that the brand is, an inappropriate, is inappropriate because it diminishes the true meaning of the word terrorism, stifles political dissent, and is being used as a pretext to ensure the protection of private economic gains at the expense of efforts to protect the environment. All right, just for the record, I agree with that. I love that critical analysis. Okay, Just to clean up my... Um, Cavalier and probably irresponsible use of that term earlier in the conversation. I will say this: part of the plot, part of the plot, it, you know, the idea of a cell, I do think, is important to the plot because they oh, are yeah. working yeah. in concert, silently, without cell phones, and Absolutely. they do. Yeah, when they're operating, they have this way of going about business that is very would be quote cell like, um, and later it becomes important because they're on the run. I'd say one of the most important points in the plot is when this woman Olivia, and maybe the most important character, this article's Norsent, I thought was quite insightful. 
Oh, she basically has a near-death experience. To go back to Twin Peaks, she 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 shocks herself, <laughs> and and then wakes up in her and she's a new person, and she becomes this kind of goddess-like leader of a mo- of 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 this movement of this group of act- radical environmental activists. She's their leader and their inspiration. Uh, she can talk to trees or talk. She's talking to some entities some non, you know, embodied entities and they're leading her and they're telling her to do things. And then eventually the, like this, this group, she leads this group of people. She's the kind of spiritual leader. And even the, she's giving direction. She's kind of like the general, which I thought was kind of strange. And she's leading them on this, on these adventures of, of um, liberating trees from their, you know, capitalist oppressors. And, but they're operating in silent. She dies in an accident, and that to me is like the real climax of maybe the first part of the book. Her death shifts everything into this sort of downfall moment, almost like the 1960s, the exuberance of the 60s, then like Altamont, Speedway, <laughs> and then you, you kind of have the 70s and the downfall, you know? That might be one way to think about the book, but her death changes everything. The character. Well, it really disperse. does, SJ, because they go back to their Christian names at that moment. I don't know if you mm. guys that they don't think of themselves as trees anymore after after she passes. Mm. That's great. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, they they can't have to drop those names because they're they're too hot. <laughs> But, but rest- no, but even when they're referring to themselves, they were thinking, you know, like their identities change in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. But she so- is worth talking about because of like I I took that more as like a. Well, that was right above me. Nice. Wow. I uh, I took um, her death. It uh, almost is like this religious revelation or like it scrambled her filters so that she was open. And then, I mean, she was like living in the flow. Like it was pure synchronicity after that. And I don't know if the trees were the conduit for the light beings or if somehow the trees were guiding her. But there was something really interesting and bizarre about, you know, what she had to say. Like this isn't... This isn't what I dreamed. This wasn't it. You know, but yeah. but like the the Ovid quote just c- continually arises, you know, this is a story about things that become other things. Yeah. I almost wanted to read the Metamorphosis. Oh, me too. I I I have read it, but uh um that would be a book to get into maybe. I think no. it's pretty dry, actually. Oh, it's not that. Well, I, I, maybe I like it. But, um, but Alex, is that is that is that part of uh, what you're thinking? That like, especially that scene where she gets contacted by these these other beings. Or, um, is that one thing that reminded you of of McKenna? Yeah, yeah, that was one thing. There's a specific passage that I didn't. I don't underline anything, so I don't remember where it was. But that was. I can't exactly remember which character was, but it seemed. I don't think it was her. It was somebody else, but can't answer with any specificity. But it was a, it was a very clear description of like, uh, like traveling through a flashing, colorful, like mental 
hallucination. Um, I think it was earlier in the book than her. Oh, anyway. was that was that when um, uh, the character Nile fell down from the tree? Maybe he goes. He has that, a kind of flash like that as him. well. Well, he has a flash when he has his vision um, that leads to him to create the uh, his video game where he sees the trees as alien entities. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has so a, that was one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, me too. He, yeah, that that's that one is kind of. Um, so, like he even he even says that, that this must be what drugs are like. like he hasn't taken drugs, but he's right. That. Um, which I liked his whole story too, um, which we haven't mentioned. This is Nile. He's a he, he's a little, a very precocious little boy who Indian American boy who um, is learning programming from his his uh, computer engineer father in the early early days of computer programming. And so he sees it from the very beginning, but he has an accident where he falls out of a tree as a kid and he becomes paralyzed. And so he enters this totally like mental world of, uh, and he seeks to, he, he basically has this vision that he wants to create a world within the world. Um, and, um, what was I going to say? He, um, Oh, there's a very great parallel between like the the activists who are climbing trees, living in the trees, and Nile who can't do that. He's stuck in this in his chair, and he and it talks about having he's been he was betrayed by the tree, um, and I kind of found that interesting. Is like he was betrayed by the trees, and so he's sort of he almost has an antagonistic attitude towards the world, which leads to him to create this other world for everyone else. Mastery. Yeah. Mastery. And they, they mentioned that too in the, the other storyline that's like mastery as being like the enemy of, of nature or it's like the goal of humanity is, is mastery. And that's what he names his, his game which is like this multi massively multiplayer online uh, thing. So yeah, there's a few different passages that reminded me of the McKenna thing, but uh, that was one of them. There's a scene with Melee just to go. I mean, it's so weird because the tree takes his body, but then it also gives him that moment of inspiration when he's at Stanford, when he really, he quits school uh, I don't remember the exact um, plotting, but at a certain point he goes into this massive garden and he's flooded with inspiration by seeing these trees that they have planted in, I guess, a some kind of like auditorium in Stanford. And and that's a huge turning point for him. And it's like this moment of, of tripping, really, of some kind of trip where he's seeing all the trees and then there's this florid prose and you know, and, and he gets quite inspired. It's clear the trees are inspiring him as well for his creation. And it doesn't seem like at that in that scene there's anger. There's more of like awe, wonderment, inspiration. Um, so there's that juxtaposition with his character, I think. You know, the, the tree, the, he falls from the tree, it, it breaks his back, but then it's giving back something back to him, you know. And he becomes quite wealthy, right? Um, 
he's like a Silicon Valley tycoon. Uh, so, again, using loaded terms there, but. <laughs> well, no, that's interesting because I'm thinking about like the spirit of the 19th century. They they just had a different perspective time than we do now, you know. So they did things to last for a hundred years, and so you think of neighborhoods like the oldest neighborhoods in big cities. They have like the best trees in town because they're just. I don't. They were just so forward thinking about time i guess but then well go ahead dennis well a lot of newer neighborhood developments choose trees that will grow to uh large heights quicker because i mean but they won't last as long just because they want the the trees to look you know like the neighborhood's older than it is so it's funny that you point that out i did find just now what i think what i was thinking of and it's from Olivia after she dies the first time and she comes back and um, she's in her apartment um, and she, it says, uh, what does she say? Um, Even in a body's most private moments, something else joins in. Someone spoke to her when she was dead, used her head as a screen for disembodied thoughts. She passed through a triangular tunnel of strobing color and emerged into a clearing. There, the presences, the only thing to call them, removed her blinders and let her look through. Then she fell back into her prison body, and the incredible vistas blurred to nothing. She thinks, maybe I have brain damage. So that's uh, that just struck me as a very quick, quick like, kind of DMT, kind of like, you know, you pass through the tunnel into the into the space, and you're greeted by these these presences, entities, and then you come back to your body. Um, so it's sort of a simple thing, but that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I, I was thinking of that too. Let's call this 42 Minutes. <laughs> I will say thank you so much for sharing it with us. You've been listening to 42 Minutes Seasonable Club on 42 Minutes, production of Sickbook Ray on the sickbook.com. For more information about these shows, click on the links at the bottom of all the book club shows to find the others. For more information about The Sync Book, our guest, check out past shows, or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure, and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, check out others. As currently all The Sync Book radio archives are free. We also feature a great search engine to help you find what you need. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. Thanks so much. But people have no idea what time is. They think it's a line spinning out from them three seconds behind them, then vanishing just as fast into the three seconds of fog just ahead. They can't see that time is one spreading ring wrapped around another, outward and outward, and until the thinnest skin of now depends for its being on the enormous mass of everything that has already died.